You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in the book of Genesis, and you say, which chapter? And I say, yes. So we are, our text today is Genesis 1 through Genesis 50. So we'll be reading every verse and noting every uh, punctuation mark and everything. So, no, I, this is our 92nd message in the book of Genesis, and uh, we've come down to the end. I feel like I'm saying goodbye to an old friend this morning. Uh, we'll probably take a couple of weeks off and then, uh, not of church, but in Genesis. Uh, don't get the wrong idea. Come on. Um, and then we'll start a new series, most likely in one of the Gospels, in the next a few weeks. And my plan is to go then from Genesis into Exodus. Um, and, but we probably then will be doing that on Sunday nights after James is over. And uh, so a lot of changes coming up. But for our, this morning, we'll be reading some out of Genesis 1. And then we'll be reading a verse out of Genesis 50 as well. And so if you find Genesis 1, hopefully that's pretty easy to do. You can go ahead and stand. And then if you'll have your place over in Genesis 50, we'll read a verse out of Genesis 50 as well. Uh, I want to say thank you for those that prayed for our travels this week. Uh, we left Thursday. Well, my wife and the kids are still down in Oklahoma. Uh, but we went down for Jacob's wedding this week. I uh, married them off yesterday, Jacob and Sarah. Uh, yesterday afternoon had a good ceremony. And they'll be moving up here, uh, in, I think, in about a week and a half. So looking really forward to, uh, to having them be a part of our church. But Jacob has served as a staff intern and on staff for a while back in the fall. And uh, just working a job now. But has really been a blessing to Eastside Baptist Church. And uh, so if you, if you are able to, we have a, uh, we're taking a gift card uh, basket shower for them. And just to be a blessing to them, if you want to put a gift in there, there's a table out here in the foyer. And you have through next Sunday to do that. Uh, just to let them know uh, we're grateful and looking forward to serving with them when they get back. And Sarah is moving up here. She was raised on the mission field, um, but moving up here without really knowing anybody except Jacob. And, uh, and so excited to get to know her and be a blessing to them. And, uh, and I trust they'll have a great week on their honeymoon. And, uh, and so anyway, just wanted to mention that. I preached a youth rally Friday night as well, and God really worked. I mean, it was one of those uh, youth rallies or meetings that it was very clear from the beginning that they came prepared. And uh, it, the, the, the response at that youth rally was just very incredible. And I don't know how many uh, came forward for salvation, but... But there were a number of young people that raised their hand for salvation. And I don't know what that actually turned into. At least 8 to 10 that looked like they were responding for that. And so I didn't hear the result. But I just want to say thank you for praying for me. Um, haven't preached out in quite a while. Um, and yet God used this one uh, to be a blessing. And so grateful for it. But I also, this is the pulpit I prefer right here. And I love to be at home and preach right here, here at this pulpit. So uh, Genesis chapter 1, I, I, we're going to do some summary and not really just read all the way through it. But I want you just to notice as we do this, I want you to notice what happens when God is at work. Okay, in the beginning, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. When God is involved, things get done. Creative things get done. He created the heaven and the earth, and he separates light from darkness on this first day. And, and look at verse 4, after he's doing all this, the first day, basically 3 through 5. But look at verse 4, and God saw the light that it was good. When God is involved, not only does he do work, and not only is he creative, but what he does is good. 
Uh, verses, day two is verses six through eight, and this is God creates the firmament or the atmosphere, and it seems as though there's a global greenhouse that was created around the earth to, to really create an environment perfect for growth. Uh, day three is verses nine through 13. God created the sun and the moon. I'm sorry, yeah, the, he, he separated the land from the sea and the land was fertile and fruit trees grew and grass. And look at verse 12. In all of this, he's creating vegetation. Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself. Read the next phrase after his kind. Read the last phrase. And God saw that it was good. Look at verse 14 through 19. Again, I'm summarizing. This is when God created the sun and the moon and the stars, and he set them in the sky for our benefit. One of my favorite phrases in all of Genesis is 16. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, the lesser light to rule the night. Oh, yeah, by the way, he made the stars also. Yeah, I mean, Doc, it's no big deal. It's an afterthought that God created the stars also. But look at verse 18. And to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. What's the last phrase of verse 18? And God saw that it was good. Are you getting the picture? Day, day number six or day number five is verses 20 through 23. God created the land creatures and then he created, um, then he created, no, sorry, God created creatures of the sky. Keep working ahead. He created the fish. He created the, bir the birds. Look at verse 21. And God created whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. What's the last phrase? And God saw that it was good. Day 6 begins in verses 24 down through verse 31. God created the land creatures, then he creates man. Look down at verse 31 as a summary of the whole chapter. Look at it, let's read it together. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Do you understand? Are you getting the idea that when God is involved, and when God is doing the work... And when God is creatively speaking that everything he does is good. Amen. Now let's fast forward to Genesis chapter 50. And I want to read one verse out of Genesis chapter 50. And it's the very last verse of Genesis, verse 26. Genesis chapter 50, verse 26. Look what it says. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Say, that's an encouraging way to end the reading. No, I just want you to think about this. If you're to read chapter 1 and then skip ahead and read the last verse of Genesis about Joseph being put in a coffin, you know what you might ask? What happened? How did we go from all good to a coffin? And I'll give it to you up front because, I, I mean, I think many of you already know, but I just want to say it right now. When God is at work, life. When man gets involved, death. When God is at work, life. When man gets involved, Death. And if I was to title this message today, it's Genesis in a nutshell. That's, that's what I've titled it. But the subtitle is probably better than the main title. And it's this, from a good garden to a cold coffin. 
from a good garden to a cold coffin. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father, I need you. We need you today. Pray that you give me clarity and, and help my mind to be clear. But above that, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to work. I pray that you'd free us from distractions this morning and that you'd help us to really place our, our focus and attention and, and on the word and that you would do what only you can do in our hearts. God, we need you. And I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you have an iPhone, uh, then you've probably noticed that every once in a while, or, or your phone will do this automatically, that it'll produce these things called memories. Or it's kind of like a little slideshow that, that your phone just puts together uh, for you. And, and often it, it's because you took a trip to a certain location or you, went to a, you did something on a certain day. And, and, it, and it just kind of automatically compiles these things together for you. And you can kind of scroll through them anytime you want. And, and sometimes I do that with the kids and we just go back and look at some memories on my phone and, and laugh about things. It puts pictures together. It's like a slideshow. Sometimes it brings music in. I don't know how that works. But I was watching one one time a while back and it was, it was, this was very funny to me because uh, we had taken a trip to Falls Park and we were uh, walking around Falls Park and just, you know, hanging around outside and, and that was uh, back when, when we last had temperatures in the 50s um, were above and so it's been a while. Um, but we were at Falls Park and we were, took pictures and we were climbing on the rocks and, and we were watching this, this slideshow and it was really funny because it went from all these pictures of the kids and neat memories to suddenly a picture shows up and it's a dead rabbit. <laughs> I'm like, what? See, we were out at Falls Park and we were walking through the parking lot and um, we came across this little dead bunny. I'm sorry if I'm being... Um, insensitive to those of you who love bunnies this morning. But I, so my son and I had taken a picture of it because that's what boys want to do with dead animals, okay? I don't know why, that's just what we do. So I took a picture. So we're watching memories. Jason's climbing on rocks. I'm hugging their mom. Selfie, you know, the water is going. Blue skies, dead rabbit. <laughs> right in the middle of it. And I was like, you know, the iPhone does a lot of things well, and it may call itself a smartphone, but it's not very discerning about what the real highlights of life are. <laughs> you know, it didn't really, it's not as smart as it, as it thinks that it is. And it got me, though, to thinking about life's highlights. It got me to thinking specifically, and, and part of this was because we had a funeral at the beginning of the week for Brother Craig Chambers, and, and I've been thinking about life highlights this week, and and what you would put on a screen to summarize somebody's life. And it caused me then to think about the book of Genesis. I'm, as I'm coming to this last, uh, this last message in the book of Genesis, uh, I was thinking, how would I summarize Genesis? What kind of highlights would I put on the slideshow for this book? And I might start with people. I might start with Adam and Eve. I might uh, go to Noah. I might talk about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and just go people. That would be a good way to summarize it. Uh, I might would go event by event. You might do creation. You might do the fall. You might do the flood. You might do the Tower of Babel. You might be uh, Abraham and Isaac on the mountain, him offering his son. You might do, I mean, Joseph has highlight after highlight, or maybe you call it low light after low light in his life until he gets to the highlights. So you could do uh, people. You could do events. You could do all of those big moments but it, it dawned on me, though, that if you're to try to summarize the book of Genesis, it really is bigger than people or events. 
Um, see, God used Moses to write the book of Genesis. The first five books of the Bible are written by Moses himself. Jesus him, Christ himself talks about um, Moses writing the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We know that's true. Um, but Moses, his point was not a person necessarily. His point uh, was not just events. Moses, as you read the book of Genesis, you understand that he was trying to highlight universal truths that applied to the children of Israel. He was writing truth for the children of Israel, for the Jews. And we know that he wrote this book um, for the children of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt and, uh, and they were going to take the promised land and they were wandering in the wilderness. I imagine that's probably when he wrote the book. Uh, you know, they had lots of time there in the wilderness to write. And God, the Holy Spirit, was moving in Moses to take these things down so that they had a history and they knew where they came from. And by the way, um, you better remember where you came from if you want to keep going the right direction. And that's what Moses was doing. See, the children of Israel had spent 400-something years in Egypt, and Moses was leading them out of Egypt to take the promised land. But understand, if you had spent 400 years in a culture with pagan worship and idolatry and, and wickedness, then you would have been influenced by that culture. You would have been influenced by their worship. You would have been influenced by their customs. And the children of Israel certainly were. So when God used Moses to lead God's people out of bondage, he had a bigger job than just leading them to freedom. He wasn't just taking them out of Egypt. He was trying to take Egypt out of them. See, very, they, were, they were maybe uh, Jewish in body, but in many ways they were Egyptian in heart. And they needed a reminder of where they had come from and where it had all began. And the Holy Spirit was moving Moses to write down their history. And he wrote about generations. And yes, he wrote about people. And yes, he wrote about events. And he, yes, he gave them a timeline that could be traced all the way back to the beginning. And those Israelites, they were the first to read these words, in the beginning God... And as God was pulling them out of Egypt, they needed to know where they were coming, where they came from, that they were God's people, that he wanted to lead them and he wanted to bless them and he wanted to use them for his purposes. But they had to be reminded of the important things. They needed to be reminded of some universal truths that applied to them as God's people trying to separate themselves from a wicked culture and go to a place where God could use and bless them. And if you think about it, it's very similar to us. It's really no different for us. We are God's people. As, and by the way, I'm going to use that label this morning as I do. Understand that you are God's child if you have come to the end of yourself as a sinner and placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and in Him and Him alone. You cannot, and I, I want to reiterate this this morning because I, I happen to believe probably in this room there are those who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ and if you were to die today, you would spend eternity separated from God in a literal place called hell, the Bible says. And I don't say that to be hateful. I don't say that because I, I don't love you or care about you. I say that because I love you and care about you. And, and, and that truth is the most important moment of your life when you are confronted with the fact that you are a sinner and Jesus died for your sins and you must place your faith in him if you want to spend eternity in heaven. That's the most important moment of your life. 
I mean, as important as the moment was yesterday, as I stood there and, and, I, and I watched Jacob and Sarah uh, get married, I mean, that's a big moment. But I made the point yesterday even, is that moment has much more meaning because both of them, as children in their lives, came to the end of themselves, recognized their sin, admitted they were guilty, and knew they had no hope apart from Christ, and placed their faith in Jesus alone. And now they're both children of God, and that, that makes that bond in marriage even more special. The most important decision that you'll ever make. We are God's people and sometimes living in Egypt, our Egypt, it affects our hearts, doesn't it? We simply need to go back to the beginning. We just need to be reminded of the important truths of life. How do we go from a good garden to a cold coffin? Because that's where we are in our culture too, isn't it? It started good when God made and God created and God spoke. But now we live in a culture and there's death all around us and there's, there's, there's wickedness and there's sin. How did we go from there to there? So rather than summarize Genesis memories, put together a slideshow that talks about people or events. I'd like to look at Genesis in a nutshell with three very basic truths in mind this morning. And that are these, who God is who we are, and what we must do. Who God is, who we are, and what we must do. I'd like to start with who God is. See, God is creator of all, and in Genesis 1 brings us as readers, and them as readers, he brings us face to face with uh, the reality that God is the creator of all things. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that's, there's no lead-in. Understand, there's no lead-in to that. There's no context to that. It's just, in the beginning, God. It's assumed that God is. It's assumed that God exists, which means that our knowledge uh, begins with who God is. There's nothing before him. There's nothing beyond him. There's no prequel. It all starts with God. And if you don't start, friends, if you don't start with God as creator, then you miss everything. And Brother Mark Ledoux taught in here this morning at Sunday school class about, uh, about biblical creation and the difference it makes in many areas. I recommend that you go back and you listen to that, that lesson online. But it's kind of like if you were to start a book and you start 10 chapters in and it's a 40 chapter book, you're not going to fully understand what you're reading unless you go back to the beginning. I mean, no wonder, so listen, no wonder our culture is full of confusion and just a mess because we skipped the beginning. And God is creator and everything starts with God and he is the context. But culture started right here rather than going back to the beginning. And when you start here, you miss what's at the beginning and you fill in the blanks with whatever you want. That's where evolution has come from. And as a result of evolution, uh, you know, the, the value of life is diminished. And because the value of life is diminished, then abortion is legal. And life doesn't matter. And we're just kind of existing. And there's no, real, you know, there's no really uh, value or there's no, nothing that matters in the end. There's nothing beyond life. And because of that, because you skip the beginning, it, le it leads to a mess. And our culture spirals out of control because without God, none of it has much meaning. And listen, you either accept God as the source of all there is or you reject him. There is no third option. God is creator of all. And when you start with that, everything else has meaning and context. Without it, you're lost. 
God is so powerful that even his words have all power. I mean, he literally just spake and, and things happened. He created with words. He said, let there be, and there was. He creates life. He brings life where there was no life previously. His words have power, and that hasn't changed about God because guess what? His word still has power. This is where the power of God lies. God is, and only God can make something out of nothing. You know, we have inventors, but we don't truly have creators. I mean, we have people on YouTube that create content, and that's not worth listening to, by the way. But they're not really creating anything, um, because a creator has to take nothing and turn it into something. And people that create today are taking material that already existed and doing something with it. They're not creators, they're inventors, or they're maybe smart and they take what, they have good ingenuity. But God can take nothing and speak and poof! There it is, something out of nothing. That's the God that he is. You know, it takes seven words to describe that God made the universe. It's a universe so big, understand this. It's a universe so big that in our galaxy, the Milky Way, we have uh, billions of stars. And there are countless other galaxies. And I've heard that for every patch of sky, as big as the moon, if you look deeply there, then you would see one million galaxies. So one million galaxies by, let's say, 200 billion stars in each galaxy, you start doing the math and your mind stops at some point. Yet Isaiah 48, 13 says, Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. Think about it. God's right hand spans the heavens. That's how big and powerful he is. He says, when I call unto them, they stand up together. Meaning he is in control of all those hundreds and hundreds and thousands of billions of stars. That's the power and the sovereignty and the authority of the God that created and controls everything. He is all powerful, folks. Amen. And at first glance, you know what we might think? We might think, I could never approach him. I mean, a God that big that his hand spans the heaven and when he speaks to all the stars that stand up and do what he says, I can never approach him except that in the same passage that God creates billions and billions of stars with words, he stops and he fashions a man and he breathes into that man the breath of life and he makes man after his own image and he looks at the man and at the end of chapter one, what does he say? It's good. I mean, this creation, I mean, think about it. He, learn, he turns from all the stars he made and he reaches down and he molds a man, breathes a breath of life into him. He's got a billions of stars to look at and be impressed with, but he looks at the man and he says, this is good. It bears my image. God is all powerful, but he is also personal. See, that's what Genesis tells us about God. If you want to know who God is, read Genesis. He's powerful, but he's personal. He loves to give life and he wants to give you life. And he did give you life. He's creative. And we find that even as mighty and holy and perfect and sovereign as he is, he is full of mercy and he is full of love and he loves you. 
He wants a relationship with you. The powerful the all is personal. It's like if the president of the United States, who has any, he can have a relationship with anybody he wants if he just randomly calls and says, I've selected you, I want to eat lunch with you, I want to spend time with you. And I would be blown away that somebody with that kind of power would care anything about me. And yet the God of heaven is greater than the president or any president or all the presidents combined. And yet he wants you to have a relationship with him. It's incredible. If we were to stop at the end of Genesis 2, we might think everything's good. God is powerful. God is good. He's personal. How can it go wrong? Well, there's more than God involved in the story. That's how it goes wrong. See, mankind is involved. And the second truth we must understand, number one, we understand who God is. And by the way, I'm not pretending in 10 minutes that I'm giving you an exhaustive understanding of who God is. I couldn't even begin but I just want you to understand he's all powerful and yet he's personal. And yet here we come to the second part, the second highlight if you want, and that is who man is. And our first glimpse into who man is is Genesis 1.26. Look what it says. And God said back in Genesis 1, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. This is our first look at man. God created man in his own image. He, he, is, he gave man the responsibility. And by the way, he created man male and female. And I know that's a, a trick. I'm not just trying to, you know, preach on a hot button here today. Um, to me, it, the overcomplication with all the pronouns and all the labels and all of those things that people are throwing out there. Um, listen, it, it, it comes down to very simple understanding that the Bible says male and female. And, and, and by the way, God created both of those in his image. And so he, there is 100% there is male in the image of God. There's 100% female in the image of God. And you just embrace the role, embrace the, the gender that God made you, and that's how God blesses you. The reason there's all of those other labels out there today is not because of reality, it's because of sin. And sin creates a mess, everything it interjects itself into. And I am not trying to downplay something that somebody might be struggling with this morning, because the truth is we're all sinners, no wonder there's confusion. No wonder it's a struggle. But you understand, if you would simply go back to the Bible, it would solve a lot of the things that you have questions about. God made male and he made female. He made you one or the other. And embrace the role that he made you because that's how God wants to bless your life the most. Is, the, is he wants to bless who he made you. So here we have man made in the image of God and they're overseeing the garden. He's going to name all the animals and Adam is lonely and God gives him a companion and he establishes the marriage, he establishes the family and he shows us that everyone has an important role to play. I would love to talk about that too this morning. Yet, yes, there's a man and yes, there's a woman and yes, the Bible says that the man is the head and the woman is to submit to him but that doesn't mean the woman is less valuable than the man. They just have different roles. And so don't let culture teach you that if you believe the Bible, that you're a misogynist. No. I mean, no, if you believe the Bible, then you just understand that if people embrace their roles, that's how God blesses us. And the man has a role, the woman has a role, and honestly, the man shouldn't do the role of the woman, he can't. And the woman shouldn't do the role of the man, she can't. 
Okay, and it's, it's okay that God made you one or the other. Embrace it. He, he, he has a plan for your life. And if you're married, he has a plan for your marriage. And he gives a very clear guidelines in Ephesians 5. Read it and, and understand it. It would simplify your life if we would just go back to God's word. But none of that's in my notes. So if you think about it, everything was made good. Everything was exactly the way God wanted it to be. But man has a way of spoiling that which is good. Genesis 1 and 2 are great, but Genesis 3 is the hinge upon which, not just Genesis, but the whole book of the Bible, the whole Bible turns on Genesis 3. Because Satan comes along and deceives Eve, who tempts Adam, and, they, and he sins, and all that innocence is suddenly gone. And they know they've sinned, and they, they know they're naked, and they know they're ashamed. And instead of seeking God to fellowship like they had, they find themselves hiding in the bushes and covering themselves with leaves. Suddenly, in Genesis 3, there is sin. And that fellowship with a personal God has been severed. It's been broken. And God, as a judgment in Genesis 3, he pronounces a curse. Look at verse 14 of Genesis 3. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So he curses the serpent. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We'll come back to that. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. But not only does he he cursed the serpent and the woman and the man. He curses the earth. Verse 18. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return into the ground. This is death. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And it was all good. One decision. From a good garden to a cold coffin. It all goes from so all, all good to so bad. And, and the rest of the book and the rest of eternity, uh, or the rest of time on earth, I should say, will be dealing with the consequences of sin. I mean, gar the garden, listen, the garden represents sinlessness. It represents fellowship with God, being right with God, having fellowship. But when, and when God's involved, that's what you get. But the coffin represents what happened when man calls the shots. You see, God gave, gave man a free will, not to punish man, but to bless God. He wanted a relationship. Think about it. He wants mankind to choose to walk with him. Uh, and he wants a relationship, not out of force, but not because we have to, but because man wants to walk with God. But in giving then us that free will, then man chose to use that free will and disobey and blew it. And God now has to judge our sin. And I know it's not easy to hear about consequences of sin and the judgment of God, yet Genesis is, is full of that. In the next chapter, Cain, uh, son number one, kills son number two in cold-blooded hatred. That didn't take long. I mean, it was perfect, and then these two boys come along and suddenly murder. Just a few chapters later, Noah and his family are the only righteous ones left on the earth. And they get into an ark, and God judges the earth with a flood. 
And it just starts over with Noah's family. Not long after that, a few chapters later, God has to disperse man at the Tower of Babel because there was only evil intentions in his heart. I mean, think about it. The rest of the Bible, instead of being the story of creation, the rest of the Bible is the story of redemption. God seeking men to reconcile them unto himself. Men trying to overcome terrible, the terrible effects of sin in their lives. And before we, we move on, let me just mention, when God has his way in our lives, it's always good. Now, I don't mean it's always easy, and I don't mean we never suffer, but I do mean when we submit to God, then he blesses us either here or he'll bless us one day in heaven, and his blessings are real. I mean, like many in Genesis, we might be tempted to make God be who we want him to be. But that's idolatry. God is who he is, and he deserves our submission and our obedience. And our lives are so much better when we simply submit ourselves to God and his word and who he is. When you recognize who you are as a sinner, you realize all you do is make messes. We take what was good and we turn it into a mess. I remember as a teenager trying to learn to make brownies. I wanted brownies one day. I mean, I wanted brownies every day. But this one specific day, I decided to take matters into my own hands. I didn't really know how to make brownies. So I made brownies, followed the recipe. The recipe was fine. My mom had used it many times. And, and I thought, well, this should be easy enough. So I put it all, you know, together and taste the batter. And it tasted terrible. So I'm like, okay, it needs more sugar. So I put another cup of sugar tastes worse. Another cup tastes worse. And if I just simply turned the carton around and saw that it said salt, not sugar, <laughs> I would have known. But you know, see, the recipe would have been just fine if I would have just followed the recipe. But because I, I'm a mess maker, that's what I do, I blew the recipe and I couldn't fix it. Listen, that is, I know it's trite. That is a simple picture of what happens. God has a recipe for blessing. He has a recipe for brownies that taste really good. But when we get involved, we mess it all up because that's just what we do. God creates life. God gives good things. Everything that God does results in good. But when man gets involved, everything we do results in something that's a mess. God equals life, man equals death. And listen, I know we're made in the image of God and it's a wonderful truth, but the reality is our hearts are inclined away from God. We have a sin nature. We are our own worst enemies. And if we're not careful, our sin will forever separate us from God. God removed Adam and Eve from the, from the garden and the greatest consequence was death, the coffin. We already read about it. You're going to return to the dust from which you came. They didn't die that day, but they began to die. And listen, I want you to pay very close attention to the next couple of minutes. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so, then, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam is that one man by whom sin entered into the world. And listen, here's the thing. Here's the qualification to find out if you're a sinner. If you have a biological dad then you are a sinner. And I'm not trying to down your dad or say he's a rotten guy, but, but we're all rotten. And if you were born of a man and a woman, if you have a biological dad, the Bible says that that sin nature is passed along. And everybody that's ever been born received a sin nature and are sinners. 
All of us are. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. That's what Adam and Eve learned that day. The consequences for sin is death. When God creates, I want you to get it today. When God creates and when God is involved and God is at work, everything is good. But when man gets involved and we mix our hands in it and we try to mix up things in our own recipe and we try to put our own touches on it, it all turns into something. Bad. So we've gone from a good garden to a cold coffin. That's the summary of Genesis from beginning to end. God equals life, man equals death, but Genesis doesn't stop there. And I'm so thankful that he just that, that Moses didn't just write, hey, when God does things, it's good. When man does things, it's really bad. There you go, the end. No, it doesn't only show us who God is and who man is. That would be hopeless. It also gives us a glimpse into God's plan to fix us. See, here's the third truth today, what we must do. See, we could go to many places in Genesis to reveal this. We could talk about Genesis 15, verse 6, where it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. I mean, Paul uses that in Galatians and Romans to show us that salvation is by grace, through faith, and not of works. Lest any man should boast, the Bible says. But I want to look at Genesis 3.20 to look at this idea of what we must do. Uh, and again, we read this, but uh, read through this passage, but look at Genesis 3.20. This is after God has cursed man and cursed the serpent and cursed the woman and cursed the ground. And he says, you're going to return to the ground from which you came. Dust thou art and unto dust thou shalt, shalt thou return. But look at verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You say, oh, okay, what does that mean? Well, I just want you to remember that God at this point, he's removing Adam and Eve from the garden. Verse 19 is the promise of death because of sin. But Adam in Genesis 3.20, I believe that he, he performs an act of faith. Because he calls his wife's name Eve. Now, if, if this had been one of us, you know what he might have tried to do? He might, Adam may have tried to blame his wife on the mess they were in. You know, he, and so uh, if God said, okay, you're all going to die... Uh, you're, you're cursed, you're going to die because of this sin. And if I, was, if I was Adam, I'd be like, looking at Eve, look what you did. Things were okay, but this. So God says, okay, I want you to give her a name. One commentator said this. He said, Adam could have said, okay, I'm going to name you the Grim Reaper. Because you're the mother of death. I mean, if it had been one of us, we might not have given her a very flattering name. But notice what Adam calls Eve. Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And you know what that means? That name means that Eve is the giver of life or life giver. This was before she had any children. So how did Adam even know what children were? I mean, how did Adam even understand what, what it means to produce offspring? I mean, none of that. I mean, there was no book. There was no what to expect when you were expecting book yet. I mean, nobody had written it. I mean, they, they weren't even born. Think about that. Boom, my blown. So how, I mean, how would he even know? 
that Eve is going to produce life. Where would that come from? Well, I believe it's Adam's response of faith to the words of God in Genesis 3.15. Look what, look what God said in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, he's talking to the serpent, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You know what God was saying right there is, is that he's going to send someone someday that would fix the problems of mankind. He was going to send somebody through the seed of the woman that would take care of the problem that man has of sin. And God, you know what he's talking about in, in verse 15? God's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about, he says, someday I'm going to send a savior that will come and deal a death blow to Satan. He's going to deal a death blow to death. And when Adam named his wife Eve, he was basically saying, I believe God's word. I believe that one day there will come from this woman, my wife, a descendant who will bruise the serpent's head and gain the ultimate victory. Adam named his wife Eve by faith in God's word. Friends, it's no different today. Salvation is by faith in God's word. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, before Jesus, people looked forward to the faith that they would place in the coming Savior. But since Jesus, people look back to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That he died on the cross for our sin, he rose again, and he ascended back to heaven. And listen, whichever generation someone lives in, salvation has always been and will always be by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It has never been about good works. It's never been about good intentions. It's never been about baptism. Something has to be done with our sins. And Jesus Christ, God's own son, took our penalty on himself on that cross. Listen, that's what we must do. Place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you want to go to heaven, when you die, you must place your faith in Christ's finished work on the cross. You can't earn it. There's no baptismal water clean enough. There's no to-do list long enough. There's no family heritage bloodline that's pure enough. You must come to the end of yourself and place your trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's not all we must do. After salvation comes obedience. A person that's truly saved is going to prove it with their lives. And if you claim to be a child of God, then you will give your, your life gives evidence. And if God, listen, this is important. In our culture, when it's easy to say, this is my label, I'm a Christian. It's easy to say it, but there are a lot of those that have the label that don't have the, the, effort, the evidence. And if you say, I'm a child of God, I've been saved. Listen, the least that you can think of doing is then turn from your life of sin and seek to live a life in submission to God and his word. See, Genesis teaches us that. Is there an area of your life that you know God isn't pleased with, but you haven't submitted to him? So here's what you must do. You see, God, who God is, he's holy, perfect, and powerful, yet personal. Here's who we are. We are sinners. Here's what we, we, we must do. We must start, start by placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone. But if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, here's what else we learn from Genesis. You must live for Jesus. You must prove with your life that you are saved. And then third, you must tell others about Christ for their salvation. How can we receive a wonderful gift of salvation and complacently watch others die? 
and spend eternity in hell. See, here's Genesis in a nutshell. If you want God's blessings, then you must submit to God's plan for redemption. If you want God's blessings, you must submit to God's plan for redemption. Here's how. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Live for Jesus Christ. Tell others about Jesus Christ. You know, people say, you know, the gospel is the New Testament. But there's a lot of the gospel in the book of Genesis. We could have summarized Genesis in a thousand ways. But today I want you to notice that Genesis really comes down to the basics. Who God is. He is powerful yet personal. Who we are. We are sinners with no hope in ourselves. Well, what we must do, we must trust God's plan if we want to be saved. Now, sometimes we overcomplicate the truth, don't we? We pick the wrong highlights. See, I'm going to put a slideshow together, and I guess what I'm going to put in my slideshow, I'm going to put, I'm going to put my career Okay, so it's the end of your life. It has been on my mind since Monday when we, when we had Brother Craig's funeral. It's like, how do you pick the highlights? I mean, and, and so would you put in your highlight reel, would you put the job that you had, the money you made? Some people would, a lot of people would. Would you put the car that you drive? Well, some of you, you were like, no, not my car. But some people have nice cars, they would put their car in the sideshow. Some, some people put their house in the slideshow. Some people would put their accomplishments, their degrees. Some people would put their personal appearance, physical appearance in the slideshow. And some people, I mean, they would, they would go through and they would pick highlights. But here's the thing, like the iPhone, we're really bad at picking the highlights. We're really bad at summarizing what life is all about. Because last Monday when we buried or had a funeral for Brother Craig Chambers... And I was trying to think, how, I mean, how do you summarize his life? Like, here's, here's how I think he would want to summarize his life. Is at one point in his life, he became aware of who God is. And he recognized that God is powerful, but he's also personal and runs a relationship with Craig Chambers. Here's the other truth I think Brother Craig would want us to know. That who Craig Chambers is. And, and not to diminish his honor or his memory but he would be the first to tell you he's a sinner and he had to come to the end of himself because he's not perfect and he had to understand first who God was and see God's holiness and then in, in comparison to that know that he's a sinner and something had to be done but here's the third truth that, that he would want you to know today and that is this what you must do about it when you understand who God is and you understand who you are and you come to the end of yourself and say, here's what I must do. I must place my faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, you can live your whole life and have no other highlights. But if those three truths are in your highlight reel, that's all that matters. Who God is, who you are, and what we must do about it. Listen, my question to you today is, are you going to submit to God or are you going to do your thing? Because submitting to God means a good garden. It means fellowship. It means joy and blessings. All the good stuff. But doing your own thing means a cold coffin. It means death and misery and separation from God. So listen today, the choice is yours. Would you rather have a good garden that comes from submitting to a God who does everything good? 
Or would you rather have a cold coffin? The result is death and misery and a mess. And today, folks, the choice is ours. The choice is yours. I'd like to have every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. And I'm going to give a, 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 an invitation for salvation today because the message lends itself to it. I don't, you, I, don't, I don't want to pressure anybody this morning. I just want to ask a couple of questions, though. Let me ask you this first. Do you know that you're on your way to heaven if you died? Do you know that you're saved this morning? I don't always preach this directive of salvation message on Sunday mornings, but I need to ask that question today. Do you know that you're saved? If you know that you're saved, would you raise your hand? And all over the room, and I'm so thankful for that. And you can put your hands down. Listen, this morning, uh, we, I, I imagine that in a room this size, we probably have some that would say, I don't know that if I died today that I would spend eternity with God in heaven. I'm not sure of that. I don't think that I've ever done what God says we're supposed to do to fix that problem. If I die today, I don't know that I'd spend eternity in heaven. Nobody else is looking around and nobody's going to embarrass you. But if you would say this morning, I'm not sure, would you pray for me, Pastor? Would you just real quickly lift your hand up and, and, and just by, again, not going to embarrass anybody and just say, I don't know that if I die today. And I know this is a very personal question. Is there anybody in here that would say, I'm not sure that that applies to me. If I die today, that I'd be on my way to heaven. Anybody in here looking around the room? Okay, so, so I know that we had some didn't raise their hand for the first one. You didn't raise your hand for the second one. Let me just tell you, I, listen, I don't want you to be uh, afraid. Um, and and this, again, this is not a matter of pressure. I just want you right there in your seat to pray to the Lord right now. And say, Father, would you reveal to me if this is a, a decision that I need to make in my life? Would you reveal to me if, if I am or if I need to be saved this morning, would you reveal it to me, Father? And just pray to him and ask him that. And then it, as he leads you and he directs you, would you then, based on how you, your Holy Spirit's convicting you right now, would you use that as the measuring stick of whether or not you respond? Say, you know what, I think I'm being, I don't think that I know and I think the Holy Spirit's working on me and I need to respond to this. I'm going to give you just a few seconds to pray and seek the Lord about this very thing. And for our folks here today, would you pray? Would you pray and ask the Lord to do work? For other folks here this morning, maybe you're not living the life that God deserves. You, you've, you've accepted his, his son but you're not living in obedience or you've accepted his gift, but you're not telling others. Maybe that's what your prayer should be. So I think we probably have someone in every category and it really just comes down to whether or not you feel like God would have you make a decision this morning. Let's stand together and I'm going to pray. And as I pray, if, if the Lord works on you and the music begins, would you consider responding to the message this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the, your word and I thank you for the power that it has. And I believe there are some in here this morning who are kind of maybe fighting against it a little bit because they don't know their soul's condition. And yet, we, there's something all of us must do. That is, we must place our faith in Jesus Christ. Him alone. I pray that you give each of us courage. And then for your children who maybe are not living in obedience in some area or they're not telling others, 
God, help us then as well to make a decision for Christ. Lord, help us to move if you're prompting us. And I pray that you have your will and way among us in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.